Hey there, I'm Sarita, and you're about to experience the modern approach to well-being where you get to establish the best and most important relationship you will ever have, the one with yourself. I'm on a mission to help you declutter energy and reclaim your power so you can be a magnet to what you desire. If you're looking for the optimal blend of mindset and healing, you're in the right place. My goal in this podcast is to share tools, resources, and practices that will help you along your healing journey. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So welcome to Back to Here with Sarita. Let's get started. Hello you and welcome to another episode with your host, me, Sarita. We have a wonderful self-embrace story today and I love these episodes because I get to connect with some amazing women and hear their journeys of self-love and healing. And today I have an amazing guest. Her name is Denise Duran and Denise is the founder of Podcasters of New Jersey, a podcast incubator to assist podcasters with growing their knowledge of the industry and equipping them to host and produce podcasts for themselves and others. Denise has also launched Podcasters Unlimited, a podcast network and consultant, serving as its CEO. In her career, Denise holds a master's degree in social work from Keene University in New Jersey and is a licensed social worker. She's a mom and soon-to-be bride. Welcome and congratulations, Denise, especially for the upcoming wedding. Thank you so much, Sarita. This is very, I'm, I'm honored to be on this. This is very exciting that I'm able to, you know, talk to you and meet you and, you know, coming from um, me being out here in New Jersey and connecting with everyone through podcasting is always amazing. So thank you for having me. And the wedding's literally 19 days away. <laughs> that is so exciting. Wow. You have such an eclectic background and I, and I love it. I was so excited when we connected because I wanted to have somebody that has social work as part of their background and um so as you know with the self-embrace stories um more speaking to my audience but the self-embrace stories is to really hear from everybody around their journeys of healing and when you and i connected there is something in particular that you really wanted to dive into and actually share and we'll get into that momentarily um but if you want to tell us just a little bit more about yourself first and then we'll dive into like what that self-embrace or that self-love story looks like. Sure, sure. So um, I actually just turned 40 this year. So uh, turning 40 was really epic for me, especially because of everything in, in my journey and the things I've been able to accomplish. And I'm super grateful. I'm a person of passion. I move with intention. I'm a creative. I'm a mom. I'm a hold family and friends very dear and I love to connect with people and turning 40 um, really changed my perspective on understanding gratitude and taking gratitude to a higher level because sometimes we're just doing forward movement and we don't really take the time to sit in our blessings and really realize how lucky we are to even reach the age of 40. So a little bit about me, that's who I am. I love to laugh. I'm into movies. I I like to read and uh, I love to connect with people. That's something that's part of me. I love that. I know the pivotal time when you hit the 40s, I was actually speaking to one of my friends the other day and she just turned 40 and she was just saying how it just was like this transition where it's like, I don't really 
like what I used to care about when I was younger, the people that I used to people please, like all this stuff, I would go so the distance and now it's like, eh, like for, for what, you know, for why? And it's more about me. So I love that. The creativity aspect um, is such a, a bonus and I can see that through all the podcasting um communities that you're a part of and created and I and I absolutely love that can you tell us just a little bit more about like what inspired um you to start all the podcasting communities well I actually went to an arts high school and I played the flute since the age of nine until I was 18 so I played in here in New Jersey there was Newark Symphony Orchestra with this part of NJ Pack. so I was a part of that I did all city band so I was always into music and some form of art and getting into podcasting after high school and college in my later 20s, I think early 30s, was just another form of me to use that same creativity that I did as a kid and really connect with people. I actually um, ended up podcasting my one of my good friends who's actually in my wedding. Her brother was a promoter for boats out here in, in the East Coast. So they, they didn't get a lot of radio play to get promotion. So they started their own radio station. So that's how they were promoting their parties. And one day she goes, hey, listen, my brother's doing some radio stuff. Do you want to come over and do some internet radio? This is back in 2011 when you had like Ustream and Livestream mm-hmm. and internet radio. So she, I'm like, yeah, sure. She's like, yeah, it's guys versus girls. And, you know, I actually went there um, and we had such a good time. And they actually started asking us to be part of the show. So then for two years, we did this show called, for the first year, it was called Sexaholics, where we would talk about sex and party. And then after that, we, we, we were like, okay, this is too much. We, we, we changed the name to Get Focused. So we would get independent artists and independent creators who would perform on the boat or anybody in the tri-state who had their art and we would interview. It was myself, um, two other my friends and two other guys. So it was just a good time. And after that ended, I still wanted to know more. Podcasting was around, but internet radio is what we did, you know, and I actually met a mentor of mine. His name is Michael Thomas, who worked for Sirius XM um, on one of the stations, Old Town, Soul Old Town. I think it's one of the stations there. He was the head DJ. And he created his own internet radio station. And when I met him, I got into learning about production, um, contacting artists. He, he knew some celebrities and, you know, I actually ended up producing and do production. I did that for a long time as a hobby for like five or six years. And then I, then here comes podcasting. I'm still doing internet radio in like 2018, 2019. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I, I'm doing this production. I have these hosts, but I'm not in it. It was a very, very, it felt very alone. So then, you know, I created podcasters in New Jersey in 2019 and it was like, let me just meet other people. So that that's pretty much what happened. And after that, I've been doing podcasting literally because Internet radio is similar, but podcasting is a little different because with Internet radio, we had the opportunity to play music and do different things because of the licensing of Internet radio that they have versus with podcasting. So, yeah, and I started podcasters of NJ. Um, we met a lot of people. It was going good for a year. Pandemic came and we said, let's let's start our own podcast. Like we're teaching podcasts. We did Internet radio. We stopped doing that through the love zone. That's what I did for years. Um, and we had great success with the Internet radio. But once we started P- Podcasters of NJ and the pandemic came, we had something to say. And that's me and Ann Smith, who is, is my business partner. She's one of the co-founders of Podcasters of NJ and Podcasters Unlimited without her. I wouldn't be able to do it. And um, shout out to her. She's amazing. And we started our own network. We didn't know nothing. nothing. That's so amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. I just love 
hearing from people like how they get into something that they're so passionate about and that's it sounds like it was something that was um, really needed for for yourself so it's like you created that community as well and so the to kind of shift gears a little bit like the other side of you and it's really cool to see these two dynamics um, that you're so passionate about come together the other part of you is that you're a social worker and that you have been in this arena for a while one of the things that you shared with me is that you've gone through um, the process yourself being on the other side and I really would love to know more about that and that's something you and I were were chatting about originally and this is something that you have felt compelled that you want to share this part of your story that you haven't talked about before and that is um, going through different programs being part of the other side of the social services being somebody that has uh, gone through um, dependency, big time dependency. So I would love to hear um, for, especially for our audience, like around that, how that kind of started and what that process looked like. And I'll definitely ask you more questions about like how you loved yourself through that process too. No, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I, and I share this with you. I never really talked about it because I always, once a thing started going, I was just really focused on my journey, just being present. And a lot of the things that I went through to be where I'm at has to do with resisting. I resisted pain. I resisted accepting myself. I resisted loving myself. And, you know, to talk about that in, I would say, I guess around the age of 21, 22, I started, you know, I worked in the industry and in banking industry and I drank a lot. And it was very normal. I would go out, drink with my friends, but it just spiraled. I, I would say 29, 30 years old, I was drinking excessively and things weren't going the best for me. And it was one pinnacle that I hit in my life where I ended up, you know, um, having a car accident, getting into a really bad car accident. And when I was 26, um, I ended up having uh, four foot surgeries and have a scar on my face and my lip. And at that time, I still didn't stop drinking. I had stopped drinking for a while and the accident happened and I still continued on my path. Not until my end of my later 20s, early 30s, where I don't know, um, I, I got into another accident. So this is two accidents. Um, and that accident, I ended up getting a DWI. So in the state of New Jersey, when you receive a DWI, you go through something called an IDRC. That's an Intoxicating Driving Resource Center. And that is a, that is required for you to get your license back. So at that time, I got into DWI. I lived on my own. I had to kind of reestablish myself and decide, okay, what am I going to do? I live on my own, moved back with my mom. And at that time, when I attended the IDRC, they asked you, a bunch of questions. Hey, how's your drinking? How this happened? Because some people maybe over drink over the influence or have a bad night and they get into it. But for me, I already had a history of various things. I had that accident when I was 26, where I literally was in a wheelchair. I had to learn how to walk again. And that still didn't change me. I think at this point in my life, I was maybe 31, 32. I had to give up a lot because I'd resisted. I didn't want to give up my independence. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to seem like someone who had an issue, 
right? Because in, in the culture, I'm from Dominican Republic and in Latino cultures and specifically in the area I was from, it's normal to drink. Yeah, you get a little drunk, whatever. You know, people see you as, you don't drink? Oh, you don't drink? You sure? Come on, let's have a drink. And, and mm. it's very normalized. Anything that we do, baby shower, sweet 16, a get together, drinking is a constant. So that was hard for me to accept. And acceptance is something that I had an issue with. So when I ended up with the DWI, I go to the RDRC and they ask a bunch of different questions and I qualified as having an issue from the way I assessed and I honestly answered because that was another thing I never wanted to admit because who wants to admit, right, that they're really going through a hard time, especially culturally and in our culture we're taught to Eso no es nada, no te preocupes, sigue pa'lante. And those are words of encouragement, right? And endearment, but sometimes they also validate these personas that we create. So when I did the assessment, the guy was like, hey, do you, do you have a problem? And I was like, yes, I do. And that moment was like, okay, I need to get help. Um, during that time, I actually went to, I did a counseling program, which also has some dependency and substance in it. So I would see a, a therapist, a licensed social worker. I worked the 12 steps and, you know, I, I drank. So at this point, I was 31 from the age of 21 to about 31. I struggled with alcohol. I've been car accidents. I've been um, arrested. And with all that, I still kept a job, had a bachelor's degree, functioning, lived on my own. But I, I had a secret, right? When you live on your own, you have a secret. And that's about the resisting, resisting living life and, and understanding life's term, resisting pain and resisting living in value and integrity, right? Doing the right thing when somebody's not watching. So if nobody really saw me drinking a bottle of wine and I live by myself. It wasn't a problem, right? I'm a, I'm a person, you know, a spiritual person. I, I believe in God. And, you know, I, I knew someone was there watching me. But I, I didn't think nothing of it because nobody knew. And there was many, many times that I've lost control and I lost friendships, uh, relationships at that time. And then being back in this program that I was just talking about, seeing this um, therapist and having to go through the 12 steps, having to do the same regulations that people who were part of drug court programs, who were part of um, intermediate housing and different things really made me say to myself, I'm not, I'm not different than anybody else. So I had that time, this is like two, like eight, nine, nine years ago, I was eight and a half years ago, right? I didn't have my license. I lived with my mom. I started a waitressing job. Mind you, I have a bachelor's in international business with a minor in psychology. So, you know, I went from working at a, you know, I guess top 10 financial institute, Bank of America, MBNA car services to waitressing in a buffet. So I would run into people. I had to start over. It was hard. It was hard because, you know, you have pride. You know, you have these expectations of yourself. So that was very hard for me. But I knew that the times that I've gotten in trouble, right? And I and I went through the things that I went through. God was always there because I didn't end up in jail. I didn't end up dead. I ended up hurt, right? I have a scar in the, my forehead at 17, I think, no, 20 something stitches here, nine on my oh, wow. nose, 17 in my mouth and lip from a car accident. I was drinking. I wasn't drunk, but I was drinking. I was when I was 26. Fast forward to when I was 31, 32, when I, you know, I had to tell this therapist everything. That was the first time I shared 
all my relationships that I lost, my friendships that I lost, um, some of the, you know, pinnacle of why I felt, why did I drink? Why did I go through this thing? And I had low self-esteem. Um, and it, some of it came from a, a relationship that I had when my first boyfriend who was, uh, emotionally abusive, um, you know, verbally and also a little physical. So it was hard, right. To see yourself go through that at the age of 21, 22, 10 years later, you're still doing the same thing expecting a different result I think the difference with this I feel like I hit my rock bottom I didn't have a car I didn't have a license I didn't have a job uh, I started working the waitressing job because it was the easiest thing I can get to and I just was in the moment I was honest with this um, therapist who I would keep in contact I haven't spoken to him this year but I reach out to him every so often and tell them tell him how I'm doing because um, he it was very it was very inspiring how much he just was there for me and taught me a lot and I did that. It was like a 16-week, um, it's a 16-week program and therapy program, which, you know, I did and I stopped drinking. And I stopped drinking 2014. And it was just that moment of all those things that happened when I went to the IDRC that day. And actually, I forgot to mention this. I was coming from New York from partying the night before, having to drive, feeling um, hungover. And when I got there, I was like, I got to tell the truth. And that was the first time that I was I didn't resist. I said, okay, this pain, I have to go through this. I have to grieve this. I'm ready. And, um, you know, from 2014, uh, it was, you know, then I started my journey to got to, to where I'm at today. Wow, Denise, thank you so much for sharing that. And it, it does take a lot of uh, courage to actually put that out there, um, especially since at the time when you were going through it, I can only imagine the burden of carrying a secret so deep that it, affected you physically not just emotionally but physically and then affected the people around you which just holding on to like something so deep and secretive is is and especially like you were saying within the culture there's like there's this level of shame and then of course there's the um within the latino culture you were saying but also within just our cultural perspective of like the shame of mm -hmm the way that certain people act and like shaming of people when they are going through like a difficult time. And like, that is usually such a recourse. And I relate to that so deeply. I don't, I don't know, um, to that capacity, but I relate to the aspect of being really stressed out and having it be like a crutch, having alcohol be a crutch. I used to work in corporate for about 15 some years and the socialization was all around alcohol and so Same. that's that's what yeah and that's what's so common with so many of our experiences socialization is like these these um and we end up you know a lot of people end up having them be substance abuse problems and so how was that like when you did share this information with the therapist and you started opening up to the truth of what was going on with yourself and and um, how it's been harming like how how it's been harming you what kind of what transition for you in those moments what transition for you like going forward after that I, I think what really put things to perspective is saying things out loud talking about your emotions, identifying yes. your behavior and people's reaction to the behavior and your reaction to their 
their reaction was important for me because talking about it and kind of fine combing through those things was where I noticed how much I wasn't just a sufferer. I was also an engager, right? Because a lot of times I would say, well, if you love me, if you, you felt patient for me, you would understand that this is hard. But those were boundaries that they, people were, were putting up because they were also upset and hurt about what they saw and what I was going through. And that's something that I had to take accountability for. And that's what was transformative. Understanding how much pain I was in and understanding how much pain I caused. And I didn't put those two together. They were always so separate to me. Because at the time when I was going through a lot of things, you know, my friends would be like, "Ah, you're fine. Just drink wine. Let's try this. Let's try that. And I would not succeed in any of those things. Right. So it was to the point that I had to see that I was not only hurting me, I was hurting everyone. A lot of people were very hurt because they saw my potential and they saw what I can do, but I wasn't ready. And I, and I say resisting because there's a book called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris, who is a big, um, com- you know, a big, a big person with ACT in uh, acceptance commitment therapy, which is something that I practice a lot with my clients. And, you know, having this, when I get here, everything's going to be better mentality, right? Instead of really understanding where your values are, clarifying your values at the moment that you're at and living to those as a form of success. I didn't know how to do that because between the 20, you said corporate, I did that from 21 years old to 29 years old. Um, I ended up, you know, losing that job after nine years and things, you know, I, I tried different things. I got into the podcast, like, you know, the internet radio, I tried doing life insurance. I just tried different things. Cause I was very stable in my career. Then when that shakeup came, I had to kind of reinvent myself. But though that time was just monotonous, I was just doing, I wasn't doing anything as a creative ILA. I may be working out here and there. I didn't have anything coping. So in that time when I worked with with therapy and they spoke to me about that and asked me those questions, what you're saying, it was that I wasn't only suffering. I was also engaging. I was also not awakening myself and the happiness trap. He talks about diffusing instead of infusing negative thoughts. I was always infusing them. I was always agreeing with that voice. Like, yeah, you know what? That's true. You don't have time. Yeah. You don't have to stop drinking. It's with those people that you hang with that don't accept you. And I would say these things to justify these things. So that was what happened when I was saying those out things out loud and I was identifying those emotions, my behaviors, people's reaction to it and my reactions to those things is when I notice, girl, you're not the only one that's suffering. You're making mm-hmm. everyone else suffer too. And I was selfish. Yes, that is. Wow. That's so much wisdom just in a, a couple, a couple seconds. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And you hit on so many great points. I really love the the book that you brought up, um, especially with like the diffusing aspect of mm-hmm. it. And it's in those moments when we really take ownership and switch from the victim mentality, right? Because it's so easy. That's the easy way out. It really is. It's the easy way to be like, oh, they don't accept me because of my lifestyle or they don't or it's their problem, not my problem, Right. Mm-hmm. Everything, as we know now, you know, people that are doing the work, people that are investing in themselves, becoming better people, they know that it all starts right here. It all starts with us. And so taking ownership of those actions, I love what you said. 
about it being selfish because when we are in the position of thinking that it's the other people, not us, pointing the finger at them, not only is it victim, but it also is very selfish of us to believe that we don't have any power in the situation. I love that. We, we have so much power in every single scenario, yet we give it up to, just like you were saying, that thought that comes in. Yes. That's like, I'm just going to listen to that thought. I'm going to listen to whatever that person says about me. That's true. Take it for my truth. When in reality, it's not our truth at all. And so that's why reclaiming our power is so important. So and important. I love the modality of reclaiming the power through talking things out, sharing those emotions, sharing it, actually bringing that stuff that's like settled inside and bringing it forth because it's like when that it's, it's so interesting when you end up talking things out, when you end up sharing things or journaling, like what comes out from that, it's like, whoa, I didn't even realize that was in there. Yeah. It's interesting because when me, you and I spoke, I, I, I told you that in 2018, right before I started grad school and I got my master's, I did a podcast and it was um, Black Girls Need Healing Too. And I spoke about journaling and I spoke about doing that work, journaling about my life, really looking at the types of relationships I had, naming the, the things that I did in these relationships, what was things that I did, what was the things that those people didn't accept about me and what was the good things about those people and the support that I had and what I missed out, you know, because I had to make peace with some relationships and that's also in um when you do the 12 steps you know you are asking for forgiveness and amending relationships that doesn't mean the person's going to be like oh okay we could be friends again it's about you accepting and forgiving yourself and forgiving what you did to that person totally. if they do whatever they want to do with that great or not and i remember speaking about journaling and everything you said is very very powerful reclaiming that and and I talked about that piece but I didn't talk about the extended because at that time I still didn't feel like I was ready it wasn't about receiving my master's or having what I have I just think that turning 40 and working in addictions I also got um into getting my certified drug and alcohol counseling education hours because I eventually wanted to work with people in, in addiction and co-occurring, which are co-occurring mental health disorders, as well as, you know, addiction, right? They're, they're dual diagnosis. And in 2014, when I got sober, I went back to school. I was like, okay, I'm waitressing. I'm going to go back to community college. I have my bachelor's. Let me take this certification. And I started learning about what addiction is. And I started learning about what types of, um, you know, drug use and what that was. So I really went into educating myself because something about myself is that I always like to seek. I always like to learn. That was the only, one of the biggest motivations in my life was that, that I said, okay, I have this, I have that. How am I going to reinvent myself? What am I going to do to move forward? Because I needed that motivation. It wasn't about me, you know, feeling less than it was hard. I would take the bus, you know, have to walk like, you know, a person, in their early 30s who worked for an establishment like Bank of America who knows the corporate who made a lot of money right moving back to her hometown which my parents lived in which was in the best environment and having to see people still be in the same position and people that gave me their hand I have a very good friend of mine who was there for me and I will always see the negative with that voice and in that therapy session oh yeah they, they are helping me but you know they still judge me instead of looking at their actions in the time of present so learning 
was one thing that motivated me. And when I did, I, you know, I met this professor. He's like, oh, you should do social work. I was like, I don't know. I'm already doing these classes. That's taken a year and a half. I'm, you know, rebuilding my life. And I even substitute substitute teaching, thought about, I did a couple of things in between just to push myself because forward movement, I didn't want to be in that maze. I didn't want to be in that, that past. Oh, I did this. I did that. I did this. I was like, let me just motivate myself. And I sought to grow and it hurt. It was painful. I was, I cried for like a year and a half. I think the first year that I stopped drinking, I didn't know how to laugh the same. I didn't know how to really date the same. And at that time I met my fiance who doesn't drink. So spiritually, right. I, I was, you know, going through that and I met him who never been a drinker, doesn't have that. I'm like, what? And then it just, you know, that grew and I, I took my time to be present. I say all of that to say is that it's very important to take that first step to be able to yeah. be honest with yourself. And like you said, reclaim your power because I gave everybody my power a lot of times and I blamed a lot of people when it was really me. I had yeah. that ability. What a humbling experience. And it sounds like from this, from your experience uh, sharing that is that with so many things, when we are basically, you were saying, constructing this new identity, reinventing yourself mm-hmm. in order to do that. It's like, you have to completely destroy the foundation, like everything that you once identified yourself with this person that was alcoholic, that was dependent, that was, um, judgmental that was like a victim like all these like different identity layers it was it was you had to tear those away and as painful as it was like reinventing yourself and like you got to become this new person you got to literally create yourself as a new person I mean you're still of course the same Denise right yes (laughs) yes creating this you know creating this new identity creating this new um, new outlook on life has allowed you to become the amazing person that you are meant to be. And so for you, like what, what, and that takes, I mean, that takes a level of self-patience, self-love, self-compassion, self, like a lot of different things. And you were saying it was, it was challenging. What were some things that were like uplifting when it came to like giving yourself that energy and effort? Um, my faith, you know, I've always been a, a person who uses prayer, um, used quiet time and meditation, which was something that I used to just be like, meditation because I lived <laughs> such a fast life. I worked right. in corporate. I worked in the credit card finance industry. I was super busy. I had to unlearn how to slow down and prayer practicing mindfulness not just sitting in meditation or listening to um, high frequency or anything that's you know what I do now it was just about taking a walk and focusing on the walk taking the time to look outside and looking outside and drinking coffee not being on the phone so much not feeling like loneliness was um, my my enemy more of understanding that the difference between being alone and the difference between feeling lonely. And I love that. It was just 
incredible that I had to slow down. I mean, I, I am a little bit fast paced. I am, you know, a Jersey girl, East Coast person, 100% and Dominican and even our culture, you know, hablamos rápido and all of that. But this is me at a slower pace. This is me when you do, when you listen to a podcast at that 1x, 2x and you slow it down like, hey, because I had to unlearn that. And it's about rewiring those things. And that, Sarita, it takes time. And you know that, you know, we had these conversations about when, you know, before having the podcast about those specific things. It's just a lot to unpack. So I would say prayer, mindfulness, and I did a lot of journaling and I was seeking knowledge. I was always trying to learn what's what's what is addiction. Um, you know, what's the history in my family? What is it that why did I drink? And identifying what pain am I resisting? What emotion am I? I, I it's inevitable, right? And that's the hardest thing. Even in, in in acceptance commitment therapy, therapy they talk about resistance, right? Because you're resisting something that has to happen for you to be able to proceed. And if you cannot accept it and commit to changing it, you're oh, you're going to cause more pain and you're going to cause more grief because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And that's what I used to feel. I would go to so many different places and meet people and I'm like, man, you know, you're, they would tell people, like compliment me and say things to me. And I'm like, for real? You think so? You think I'm great? And it was about also affirming myself. I am great. I know who I am. I did. I know what I've done. I, I know what I can do. That also helped me a lot. Just really understanding to be in the moment. Because when you're in the moment, you look around and you observe and you're using observations as context of how you're talking, what you're hearing. And really being in that, being present gives you gratitude. Because we don't have to be here. You know, it, it's, you never know. And I literally played around and risked my life with the type of things I did with drinking. I had two major accidents that I had, um, incidents that I had before that I could have done jail time. I could have been, and I didn't. And I'm like, I look at that now, and especially because my wedding's coming. I was thinking about doing this today and talking to you, and I was crying because I said, man, I can never see myself being that unloving and feeling that undeserving because I, I, I know that I'm here for a reason. I mean, you know, don't want to go into super details, but my goodness, I'm like, I, I can never be that person any, anymore. I feel like there is parts of me and I accept it all of me. That's the key. All right. of me, prayer, meditation, journaling, and affirming myself, but I accepted it. And that was a fight that I had even when I kept thinking to myself, so what am I going to say? How am I going to do this interview? Because especially that I'm a creative, I'm in the podcasting world, and I also do private therapy with clients. And I'm like, what if my client listens to this one? You know, it's me. I'm not ashamed of it. And I, and then that I wasn't, I just wasn't sure if I was ready to be solely, solely committed to that vulnerability and that courageousness. But after turning 40, I was like, I'm confident. That made me talk to you at this exact moment in time. So I would say that you got to be whole. You got to accept all everything, the scars, the accidents. I mean, come on, you know, mm -hmm. it's you. I love that, Denise. You just warmed my heart. My heart just was like, Aww. oh, that was so, well, that was you. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm an emotional person. <laughs> I am I'm as like, well. I'm like, what are we? <laughs> yeah, I am I feel as well. It. And so I, I appreciate you for that. Thank you. I feel that so heavily. And I mean, you just said so much that I want to reflect on, but a big thing at the very beginning you said is just 
you hit something on the head where so many of us, I think there is the issue of slowing down and not accepting ourselves because we're scared of this aspect of feeling lonely when in fact loneliness is so much different than being like in solitude, right? Solitude is is filling up your cup and spending time, quality time with yourself versus loneliness is is coming from a place of like scarcity i really truly believe like there's nobody else that is going through this so therefore i'm the only one right instead of being like solitude is something that i get to do this for me because i'm worth it and i'm embracing just like you said i'm embracing all aspects of me and i get to spend time with me i love that i'm gonna use that and 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 be like yeah Sari, that is so true. Scarcity is, is huge. It's, it's, that was very, very true. You know what? You said something that I've been talking about a lot and I see a lot of that rendition kind of intertwining specifically now in the, in the um, holiday times with family, when people are like, you're all I have. You're the only one. I'm the only one feeling this way. Why does this happen to me? Those phrases validate and justify those negative emotions and deep pain that you're resisting that that's what happens and we tend to say things like that and we really if you're a person who believes in the universe you believe in god and whatever type of spirituality you're into we sometimes manifest these egregious things that can happen to us by saying things like that oh god here we go again and something as simple as wording and what we say was something that i also had to rewire myself to to figure out how powerful you know, my words were, how powerful my thoughts were, because, you know, I come from a lineage of family who was very spiritual. You know, I have a podcast. I'm all shamelessly plugging it um, <laughs> called Creencias, <laughs> where I talk about, you know, this fictional character who my grandmother was a spiritual advisor. And it's based on loosely how I grew up. And we always had rituals and things that we believed in and things that gave us hope and faith. And in that regard, you know, I always sought to to need knowledge and lean on that because of the way I was upbringing. But I also used that as a it also was not good for me because I also used that as a negative. Like, well, I need to be this way and I need to be this way. I need to be this way. And it's about, like you said being able to be in comfortable and doing things for you and that scarcity came from me not meeting those expectations as well those things that I leaned on right but I couldn't meet them because of how terrible I was living my life and how you know just I wasn't even in that moment I wanted to fast forward I wanted to be in the next the next more 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 if I get this if I get that I'm gonna be happy and I wasn't And that goes back to the book that you're referencing about really appreciating and um, what was it you were you were saying that it was um, your morals and like the things you actually oh yeah your values your values values. right to live up to the values of where you are at this moment and it's only natural I mean I'm I don't think there's any human being on this planet that doesn't like look ahead and want to be at another level than where they're at right now simultaneously it's like a dance simultaneously you can do that and and desire to create and manifest while simultaneously something you said at the very beginning is being in this place of gratitude really appreciating like where we are in these moments 
wherever you are in these moments because that's where the present that's where you are that's where the present which Mm -hmm. is the really the inspiration behind this podcast back to center meaning coming back to this place coming back to self coming back to the person that you need the most which is you yeah that's very 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 well put absolutely is it's about always clarifying your values in the moment that you're in and something that they talk about in that book is about living towards your value and that's also success people measure success monetarily aesthetically um materially right but what values do you hold at this moment that you are living very closely to and being in t- integral in it is what is satisfying because some people never do that some people never even live up to their own values and their own expectations look i'm not perfect obviously and i say this to my clients a lot you know to be relatable because in in the type of practice that i work in now it's easier for me to be more relatable than other um you know jobs that i that i worked in in other places just because of the setting and also culturally in latino culture and caribbean culture you know people want to be relatable to you right you want to connect i say that to them listen i that was me you know i understand i can understand you i sympathize but sometimes i can empathize because i've been there and i i use that more now and i'm more relaxed in the way that i engage with my clients because I do want to empower them. I'm not here to change those things about them. I'm here to help them understand that. How could they decrease these behaviors? How can they um, maybe, you know, understand why and maybe change the symptoms that they're feeling from it. But a lot of the good things and qualities that they have, it might be extreme for whatever reason. And I think that sometimes that that's where I'm coming from a place of um, working with with um, one-on-one. And I, I really do enjoy what I do. I I think they can tell that sometimes. And sometimes I had to learn also, too, that I can't carry everything. And that was something else that I had to learn. It's always learning every day, right? You know, but I I have to do that because I'm committed. And that's the difference. I'm committed. I love that. We can definitely, that's another conversation I was going to say. Carrying everything is something that we're so conditioned as women, especially Latino women, (laughs) to believe that we need to carry it all, women of color, uh, that we're required to carry it all. That is another conversation for another day. But um, (laughs) that could be... Okay. mm, Exactly. Yeah. That that movie says it exactly. Yeah. I absolutely love how you said empathy, and that actually kind of rolls into my next question the empathy because you have been like I explained and you've explained like you've been on the other side right you've experienced what it's what it's been like to go from breakdown to to uh, reclaiming yourself and so there's a level of empathy that you have with your with your clients and the people that you meet because you know because you've been there before that being said for somebody that is going through so kind of nuggets of wisdom even more because I know you've shared so much already but somebody that's going through maybe not even like a substance abuse problem, but somebody that is going through such a like a very like challenging time, maybe with I mean, because we covered boundaries, we covered a lot of things. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, words of wisdom would you provide for them, or affirmations would you provide for them as they go through a difficult time um, transitioning? Because transitioning can seem so overwhelming because you're literally breaking everything down and constructing a new, right? Like we talked about, but what words of, what words would you share with them? I would say 
that if you are going through a transitioning phase and just a very challenging time in your life, don't judge yourself. Just be without judgment. And judgment is something that we all do. I'm guilty of it. Like I said, I made mistakes, right? And I make them every day. I made like five today, probably more. So not judging yourself. The reason I say judgment, because once we judge ourselves, we start to shame. And you mentioned shame. Shame is such an empty emotion. Um, Brene Brown has an amazing TED Talk, amazing books on. I love that. Uh, love her. The vulnerability, right? It has courage. Mm-hmm. We in Latino, um, Caribbean, and Black, and Black African American, and in different communities are taught that vulnerability Specifically where I was raised, I was raised in a very, um, I guess you can say, urban, very rough neighborhood. People take kindness as weakness. And we also talk about vulnerability being weakness. It's not. So judging yourself is a form of being weak on yourself. Because why? Why judge yourself? Because once you shame yourself, you start to break down your great qualities, characteristics, and traits those same traits that can strengthen you and you can see what skills in this adversity, in this challenging, what skills and what qualities do I possess that can help me kind of transition a little better. For example, one of the things that I felt I had a strong quality in was I have a very high tolerance for, I have a very high tolerance in patience, very patient person. So I use that patience during this challenging time to say, Denise, you are patient. This is temporary. This is going to get better. This is just your journey. This is temporary. Things are going to get better. I use my patience as a tool to motivate myself. And instead of making that moment a forever moment moment and permanent, I always address it as something temporary. Here we are eight years later and a half. I'm getting married. I'm a licensed social worker. I have a five-year-old son. I have an amazing fiance who I love and have beautiful friends and family and I I didn't say well it took me years I said thank you for it happening stop judging it I would say judgment is huge because you shame yourself once you shame yourself you start nitpicking so don't judge yourself another thing too that I, I see a lot of people do and I've seen this a lot culturally even something that I've done in myself is kind of kind of look down on meditation and mindfulness because I think in the last few years meditation has been overly used right just like the word pivot right we we've heard this so much right <laughs> and, right right you're like come on when are we gonna stop saying that so it, it's one of those things where I I started talking about when I watched this documentary recently with um Jonah Hill and his therapist I don't know if you saw it called Stutz um it's this he's like a psychotherapist for many years he uses these toolbox these very um instant um tools that he gives to his clients to use right to kind of facilitate the resistance of pain so you know he he said this most importantly which i'm gonna say is the fact that we can use our imagination and listening to that watching that and being a mom and seeing my son how much he pretends and how much he imagines we can imagine and that's also a form of meditating imagery visualization you don't have to sit there and I I think that's something that I literally realized this year like to use that imagination versus meditation so I asked my clients what do you see yourself as what do you visualize what do you think you can do visualization was something important for me didn't judge myself I observed myself and I visualized okay I'm going to get my CADC 
Okay, I'm going to stop waitressing. Okay, this is, I see myself being a social worker. I see myself doing these things. And that was also motivational to me because I gave myself some goals and some, you know, viewpoints of what I can do next. So judging, not judging yourself, being able to be use imagery and visualize things, which is also a form of meditation because you are taking the time to focus and hone in and manifest in a way, right? So that was something that I did. And I would say lastly is stop putting your anxiety, you know, if it's manageable and your depression and even people who have ADHD, putting it as something that's not part of you. Sometimes my clients talk about the anxiety like it's not what they're in. Detached. Mm -hmm. They detach themselves from it. Be in it because the anxiety is part of you in your everyday journey. The anxiety, the depression. No, I deal with it. I One thing that I learned too with um, working in, in what I've been doing in private practice is how the body, when it when you're going through trauma, and there's a good book called The Body Keeps Score that talks Love about- that book. Amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it talks about when you are in trauma, your mind does not process any new information. So your body and your central nervous system and your autonomic and your, your somatic are and like in heightened, right? So what happens when you cannot process new information because you're so traumatizing? I, we need safety. We need to reestablish you and bring you to safety. So when you're anxious and you're depressed, reestablish yourself and ground yourself in the things that you have in the home, right? Your basic needs in grounding yourself in that part can help you understand that this is a temporary thing. And what happens is we, 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 we train our bodies to go into fight and to freeze, right? Because we are not in it. Every time you see a dog barking, this is an example that they use in a lot of the trainings, right? Very dog is barking. The dog bit me for, um, as soon as I see the dog barking, oh my God, my, I start to sweat. I start to go into panic. But if you get closer to the dog and it's like a version therapy, you get closer, you desensitize yourself from it because you're resisting the pain. Right. Yes, it's going to make your heart, but you're training your central nervous system to protect you because you're so scared of this dog, right? And you're so scared of this emotion. So it's about not judging yourself about being able to understand where you're at and understanding your motivation. And then also stop detaching yourself from the anxiety and the depression. It's a part of you. The more that you resist that, the the bigger you create the anxiety and the depression. If you're in it, unless you're, okay, if, unless it's, you know, you know, you, you want to harm yourself or you're, you're going to harm, you know, someone else or it's debilitating to the point that then that's a different conversation and you can't complete your daily activities. But you have to be able to, Little by little, desensitize yourself from it because it takes time to rewire the brain. And you know that in the book, they talk about that, especially with how your body is going to be. Because a lot of times anxiety and depression is physiological, right? It's not only about our thoughts and our emotions, right? So body movement, you know, mindfulness. Those those are the things I would say, most of all, don't judge yourself and don't detach yourself from the anxiety. Everything Mm -hmm. in between come, but understand that's a part of you. And it's hard to accept things. Resistance is so real. And I, and I use resistance a lot because I'm like, wow, that's all I did. All I did was 10 years. I, I said to myself, and but it, it didn't. It wasn't a waste. It made me who I am. And I can never, yes. I don't want to say never. I don't see myself in risking things and being as careless because I know too much and I'm too accountable and too responsible. There and that's go. what people are scared of, mm-hmm. right? And and it's, yes. it's, it's hard. But yeah, 
detaching yourself thank you for that that was very very wise yeah because that's what it is i they do that all the time oh yeah you know and i'm like but it's there it's of course it's never gonna go away great it's gonna increase and decrease Mm -hmm. you know great like three tips at the very end great points like don't judge yourself visualize where you want to be that was the second one and don't detach yourself from the emotions that you're feeling or you know all all the above you are it's it is a part of you Mm -hmm. denise thank you so much for all this juicy information i um was so excited to connect with you and definitely will stay connected you are such a plethora of experience and knowledge and embodiment on top of that like i i love everything that you're about i love the contrasting uh contrasting parts of your life that have brought come together so beautifully with uh with the podcasting and the social work and just seeing like how this has been created in this even in this particular episode and sharing that story with us sharing that experience with us and it being really the first time that you're sharing it on a social platform i'm so so honored yes in that, that way yeah here today um it means so much to me that you've come to the courageous point that you can share that with an audience so thank you from the bottom of my heart well thank you i i i just i'm so emotional like i said i'm getting married and in literally right i didn't even picture having this beautiful kind of big wedding and really celebrating because at one I know so at one point I didn't even think that I would get married or have children so to share this and I'm glad that I did it the way that I did and I spoke to you and you're you have a great platform you know what you're doing is really important and also is teaching us whoever's on here that vulnerability is acceptable and it's also courageous and thank yes, you for is. that. And I couldn't have done this if you and I would not connect. I'm I am so thank excited you. for your journey and your show. Thank you so much. Yes. Sharing vulnerability is healing. And that is the whole purpose of these beautiful self-embrace stories. Thank you all so much for joining me in this episode of Self-Embrace Stories. We will see you next time. Thank you again, Denise. Hey love, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you adored what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you took a moment to leave a review on the platform you are listening to this episode on. By doing this, you are helping my mission to impact other women with their healing journeys. If you aren't already following me on social media, make sure to connect with me at Sarita Wellness to get your weekly dose of inspiration. I can't wait to be with you in the next episode, but in the meantime, keep being the amazing you that you are.